No one ever said we didn't have enough content. And the problem's only gotten more intense since Substack arrived. The email newsletter platform is home to so many interesting voices and great newsletters. There's newsletters on everything from the history behind today's politics, to what it's like to be disabled, to mouthwatering recipes, and celebrity pets. As mere mortals with limited amounts of time to spare, it's really helpful to have a guide pointing you towards the good stuff. At platforms like Substack, there are humans behind the scenes who work hard to do just that, either by handpicking items or by working with machine learning teams. What does Substack's in-house curator do? How does she discover new writers and exciting newsletters? How did working at a newspaper and at Instagram inform how she approaches her current role? That's today's episode. Welcome to The Art of Curation, the show from Flipboard that explores the role of human taste in a tech-driven world. Each episode, we talk to someone who's an expert at finding signal in the noise, people who do this for a living in media, tech, fashion, music, photography, and more. I'm your host, Mia Quavirello. Like you, I get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of content out there. I crave authentic people to guide me in making smart choices that make my life better. These are people with taste, the real kind. My guest today is Hannah Ray, the storytelling lead at Substack. Hannah's job is to elevate and highlight the amazing talent on the platform, especially people who don't naturally toot their own horns. You can hear the excitement rise in her voice as she talks about her process and the sheer joy she gets in discovering something new and surprising. If you have a newsletter and want to get on the radar of the Substack team, I highly suggest listening closely to this conversation. Well, Hannah, um, tell us what you do at Substack and why having someone doing curation matters there. Yeah, so my role as storytelling lead at Substack is really to turn up the volume on the amazing writers that we have and their stories. Um, So obviously, I think storytelling is a really powerful transmitter of ideas and it's also, you know, can really be a brilliant way to help other people feel like they could also start a Substack and have their own place to share their own writing. And, you know, one of the big things about Substack is you can be an independent writer and start earning money straight away from your subscriptions. So it's a really kind of powerful place to be as a writer. And, you know, but writers can be naturally not always so self-promotional and they don't always want to tell their own stories um so I think a lot of what I'm doing is really helping them share their stories with the broader Substack community and, and that's something that kind of has been a thread throughout my career is kind of finding you know voices and and people who maybe aren't you know aren't naturally drawn to talk about themselves loudly and and helping them helping kind of elevate their stories um and I do that on you know in a number of ways across the platform including our own Substack branded publications but also we have um you know selections of publications that we feature on our homepage and the discover page in the app um and and kind of various other um places across our services that we own um, so a big part of my job is discovery, kind of doing a lot of research and, you know, making sure I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole of finding new and emerging writers, as well as some of our kind of bigger names that have come across to the platform. And then, um, 
kind of helping drive the conversations that they're having and, and kind of highlighting who are the new voices or who are doing something maybe unique. Um, we have a, a big part of the role at the moment is a weekly digest that I, I curate and write called Substack Reads um, and goes out at the weekend on uh, one of our in-house publications that's also called Substack Reads. Um, and that's kind of really finding some of the most interesting and new and engaging work and writing that I'm seeing on the platform and taking reader suggestions and kind of curating them into into that digest but yeah essentially it kind of comes down to you know elevating and highlighting the writers that we have on Substack and helping and helping tell their own stories yeah what kind of stories are you looking for one of the big things I think is still a mystery to a lot of writers when they start on Substack is how to grow their subscription list and how to actually make money on the platform. So like one of the regular interview series that we do is called Grow. And that is, you know, basically interviewing a writer about how they got started on Substack, you know, how they grew their initial list, whether they started with just a free list or whether they immediately turned on the paid option or if they didn't, you know, how did they do that kind of going paid moment? Um, you know, how they launched their Substack, and and also just who their readers are and what kind of niche areas they write about. And in in those interviews, we really kind of get down into the details and lift the lid on, you know, the the business of running a Substack as well as just like the day to day. And you know, a lot of writers especially when they start out, are working on their own and kind of running their Substack as an independent business. And, you know, the more stories that they can see from other writers doing the same and, you know, what kind of tactics they use, what strategies they have, what content strategies they have, you know, it's just amazing fodder for inspiration, really, for those other writers and feeling, you know, much more connected in a sense of being in a wider community. Um there are other stories that we look for in terms of, um, you know, how people are using their Substacks to connect with their readers or engage with their readers or, um, you know, how they might be um, converting some of their readers to paid subscriptions. Also, for a long time, we ran a series called What to Read, which was really just interested in who is the writer behind the Substack and why are they so jazzed about that subject matter and what is the niche that they're writing about or the subject, you know, the, the topic that kind of they're so interested in that they could write about forever and ever. Um, and that's really, that was a really fun series because you're kind of basically, you know, looking, talking to someone about their passion and, and finding out new and interesting things about the world that you didn't know. Um, and then with Substack Reads, which is the weekly edition I just mentioned, um, really the stories that we're looking for, I mean, they cover kind of such a broad range of, of topics and categories and verticals, but they always feel like quite timeless. Um, they're not necessarily always hitting the news zeitgeist or any kind of theme, but sometimes they might by kind of coincidence. But really they're these kind of like deeply interesting maybe long reads or features that again are kind of opening your mind to something that you maybe never heard about before or a concept that you didn't understand or you know a whole feature about 
buttons or the Minecraft end poem or Upsimaths, which is like people who are finding their creative drive like well into their 80s. And the the amazing thing about my job is I get to read so much and find, you know, these amazing writers, but also find these amazing topics that they're writing about and that often subject matters, you know, linger in my mind for days and days. And they're just the kind of posts that I want to kind of text all my friends, you know, you must read this. And for that edition, there may be the the stories that I'm looking for there are maybe the ones that you you might find in like a kind of long read, you know, like back in the olden times when you had time to kind of flick through like a big magazine or like the weekend newspaper, it would be like that kind of meaty feature that you just kind of get sucked into the story um, about something really obscure and, and um, unusual that you wouldn't normally think that you wanted to know about um so that's what i'm looking for for substack reads but the you know the writer stories are really are really diverse and and, you know we find writers coming from all different walks of life and so we're you know we're not looking to elevate like any kind of one type of writer or someone from particular kind of um background or career trajectory it's really just highlighting like the broad range of writers that we have on the platform and how they're making Substack work for them and how they're kind of maybe making money from their Substack as well. What kind of tools do you use to discover new writers and fantastic posts? Yeah, that's that's the question. I'm such a tools nerd as well. Like I'm kind of a producer at heart. So I'm kind of I do love going into the weeds of like of of tool tips as well. And I'm always eager to speak to other um producers and writers and editors about what they use so um yeah for me and this is similar to other jobs that I've had that are similar that are kind of in-house storytelling or editorial roles for people like Instagram or The Guardian um it's always a bit sad that a lot of the tools that I have like what other people would be able to use in like the public version of Substack like I don't have like any kind of amazing internal search for example and that was the same with Instagram um so that's to say like a lot of it will be that kind of going down the rabbit hole um Instagram you know there was this kind of um existing mantra that like accounts would follow like accounts so if you you knew if you were kind of looking for a certain type of account you you would stumble across a whole community of dog accounts and then be able to like find the dog account that you were looking for by just looking at who they follow um and at Substack it doesn't quite work like that but we do have this amazing feature which is called recommendations um, which a lot of writers are using now and to great effect because recommendations are driving, um, you know, 40% of, um, write- of growth of different writers' lists as well. So that allows them to essentially feature on their own homepage a bunch of writers that they would recommend. So when I stumble across a great writer, I always look at who they're recommending and then who they're recommending, and then who they're recommending. And that's like the kind of the rabbit hole that you can go down on Substack, which is just brilliant. And I love finding new writers that way. Um, But we also have a great kind of call and response relationship with the readers of both of our in-house publications, where we ask them 
all the time and in many different ways, like who they love and who they're obsessing about at the moment. And that can be through um, kind of direct calls for recommendations, you know, on our social channels and on Substack Notes that just launched a few weeks ago, um, where we ask readers, you know, who, who's your, what's your favourite piece of work that you read this week and who are you reading this week? What writer do you love on Substack? Um, and then when we do feature someone, we always ask them as well, like, who are you jazzed about at the moment? Um, and then obviously we have kind of internal staff recommendations. Um, I do look some of, at some of our internal dashboards, although they, they're not always what drives kind of where the stories come from. And I guess as a bit of a good journalist, I'm always kind of looking out for leads. Um, so I might hear about something, you know, kind of in the weeds of a comment section and just, or, you know, it might be like a kind of a throwaway comment on the podcast that I help produce, which is The Active Voice with Hamish McKenzie. So one of the co-founders, he hosts this podcast where he interviews writers about the writing life and being an online writer. And sometimes they will mention other subset writers that I've never heard of. And again, that can be a great lead. Um, so those are kind of like the sources, I guess. And then in other tools, um, I don't have like a great organizational <laughs> tool that I use, but I do a copious amount of note taking. Um, and that is in all forms. So sort of bog standard pen and paper notes and then stickies and Apple notes. Um, and then we use kind of Airtable to track who we have featured already in like an editorial calendar. And then we also have um, who we featured on the homepage and discover um, lots of Google Docs with groups of different writers that I might have been researching for different ideas. Um, so notes and notes and notes, which I do, I do try and keep my notes very organized. Do you have any guardrails against what you will absolutely not feature? Um, not really the the main thing for me is that I wouldn't want to and this kind of goes for all writing I think in a way I wouldn't want to kind of over promise something to our readers that then kind of falls flat so what I'm looking for is obviously you know, publications of substance, but but kind of deliver on the promise. And I think the, the reason I compare it to writing is like I kind of see when you think about like the headline and the image and why you kind of decide to go and read a piece and, and start investing your time in reading a piece. If if the actual piece that you start reading doesn't really deliver on that promise, like it can, it can feel really bad. Um, and I think that I feel the same way. And, and that's probably why it makes sense to kind of have someone with like quite an editorial background thinking about features in this way is that you you want to make sure that you kind of have the promise that yeah this is this is going to do what it says on the tin and then for someone to kind of click in and be like oh yes this is doing it and probably even better and I want you know and I want to subscribe and so then that feels good for both the reader and the writer um but no in terms of other guardrails like we we have our community guidelines so obviously would not feature someone who's kind of going against those um 
And also, you know, it kind of can feel, it doesn't necessarily feel great if you subscribe, if you subscribe to someone and then you don't actually receive any posts. So, and that, and this was really similar to when I was at Instagram as well. Like we never wanted to kind of funnel people towards someone who wasn't actually publishing that often. And I think we have the same feeling here is that, you know, if someone's publishing regularly, then you subscribe. It feels like you're kind of jumping into a stream that, um, that is actually happening like you're you know you're going somewhere active and I wouldn't necessarily want to send people to somewhere that is seems very sporadic or just kind of isn't actually publishing very often um yeah so those are those are a couple of things but we really want to show like a really broad range the types of Substack like vary so much in terms of like the types of posts that people have from photo essays to advice columns to Q and A's with their readers to video posts, you know, as well as kind of the categories and verticals, which is and, and they're like a hugely broad range. Um, but yeah, I also I think I think I love it when something feels quite new and surprising as well. And I think that's that's probably my guardrail when I think about reads as the weekend digest is like something that's kind of new, surprising, and like incredibly delightful and lingers in the mind for a long time afterwards um yeah and bonus if people read that and they think oh, i'm going to go and subscribe to this person's publication as well how are the new notes helping your process yeah they're amazing actually because it's added a whole new kind of sourcing well for me and as i said we kind of we already did a bit of call and response with our readers asking kind of asking in the comments like kind of who are you reading at the moment what writers are you obsessed with what was the best thing you read in the last week um but with notes we've started putting out that call and if and the response is kind of very immediate and the responses have kind of strangely been i don't know how to describe this but like slightly higher quality and i've definitely discovered more new writers and new writing than I did in in the kind of the previous ways we were kind of putting a call out. I think we did, you know, we obviously tried it in the in the comments. We tried it in chat. Um, we definitely have tried it on Twitter. And then I'd often go and look at kind of who's what what people are tagging us on the brand accounts on Twitter and Instagram as well, and would often find great writers that way. But yeah, notes has just been this this brilliant. Um, opening up of like another new way to speak to our readers about what they're finding really interesting that week and I also see trends through multiple readers recommending the same thing for example and that can be like a really good indicator that like okay this is this needs to be looked at this needs to be considered because so many people have recommended it. You mentioned earlier how helpful it, it is to have an editorial background for what mm. you do. Why do you think these skills are helpful for curation? Um, I guess one of the things you kind of learn in the very early days, like at journalism school, is just like how to find new stories. Um, and I do think like a large thing, of, you know, I mentioned that a lot of what I do is about discovery. Um, you know, just being able to kind of also kind of hold a lot of information in your head on what you have done and haven't done already and be 
looking at like the wider industry landscape of like what's new and interesting among other media outlets as, as a whole you know what are people talking about what what types of writing is getting featured what writers are being featured by different publications um i do think as a journalist you, you're sort of a naturally curious person you start to hone those skills of kind of hunting for what's what's in the news story like i was a news journalist to start with and a reporter um and then obviously like the skills of kind of listening noticing interviewing and editing being ed- being able to edit yourself and kind of edit for what hopefully feels quite entertaining read in the end and and being able to kind of hold the whole mass of everything that you've read so far in your mind and not really like I think of it like these kind of balloons suspended in the air and you're not like letting any of them drop you know kind of like being able to hold it all up in your mind and remember everything that you've read and everything that's been featured and everything that's been featured elsewhere and from that decide what do you let escape from the net and kind Mm -hmm. of put in front of your readers um I think some of those those skills are more akin to being an editor than a marketeer I guess um, and and maybe it's also the kind of the training that you get through working, you know, I worked at The Guardian for years and kind of as a very young journalist sat in a lot of big editorial meetings and looked up to a lot of editors and, and just tried to understand like why they would choose something over something else. And sometimes they were brutal, you know, and sometimes the way they edited my work was brutal, but it always made it better. Just this honing and honing. At Instagram, we used to dis- describe it like kind of, you know, cutting away, cutting away a piece of stone until you have like the gem, like the diamond. And and I think, you know, with this kind of discovery and curation and selection and featuring, it is, it is about kind of how do you cut away like a lot of all the stuff that you could feature and you could tell the stories about and find the one thing that is like this new red, where gem that needs to be honed and needs to be edited in in order to be brought to its kind of brightest definition if that makes sense so I'm sort of taking that metaphor like along along the way but it's that's that's why I see kind of like journalism and editorial playing into that because I mean it's it's truly brutal like as a, a young journalist you're just having your own stories like slashed all the time red you know and in my when I started it was actually on papers and there was like red markers over everything and um you know I had to sit next to my editor and watch them edit my work sometimes so that I could understand their process so that I could write better um and I think that now I don't have so much of like the being heavily edited although I am often edited by the co-founder Hamish which is like probably like the highest editor we could have in the company and I really appreciate that being edited like I I just always think it makes the work better and 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 that's what I want to like I don't want to deliver something of low quality to such a, a big audience you know on behalf of Substack I want it to be the best quality it can be and that's down to 
like who we choose as well as how we tell their story um so yeah it's about kind of maybe setting the quality bar quite high as well and just kind of being really ruthless with with yourself and editing yourself over and over and over and kind of killing your darlings and I didn't like all these other kind of (laughs) metaphors that you get through writing but it's like just being able to be quite honest with yourself and and able to just like I don't know if I can swear on this podcast but like edit the shit out of your work (laughs) yeah yeah Anne Friedman who I had on this podcast said the same thing how Mm -hmm. you know being an editor was almost like her superpower in terms Mm -hmm. of producing her weekly newsletter and you can totally see it as a consumer of that newsletter how tight it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and you know I'm working for and with some of the best writers in the world as well (laughs) so it would make sense that it's not it's not you know it's not an easy task to be the you know behind some of the sub the company's own sub stacks and it shouldn't be you know it should be like a a kind of world-class position um and I think that it that makes you then want to kind of make sure that everything you're doing is like of the top quality um but you know I had that hammered into me like the Guardian as well it's like we are the you know the best newspaper in the world everything we have we do has to be the best you know like the best form of what it can be um so yeah I don't but the thing is it's a really good question because you just don't know what it would be like if I'd come from a different industry like it you know you might well be able to do this job coming from a background in like you know museum curation or something else but I don't know um I think because it's Substack, it like makes sense that you're like a writer and editor if you're allowed to say this, which substacks do you wish more people knew about? I'm just going to refer to <laughs> my notes because it's really hard to answer these questions because you feel like you're not going to mention a whole host of people that should be mentioned. And actually, normally, I wouldn't let myself even like mention names because, you know, obviously being known as someone who's kind of working on some of the in-house publications and has a hand in curating who gets featured there like I can't really like recommend like my personal favorites because what I what I kind of personally love and what we feature at Substack are actually like very different um but to answer to your specific question I do think there's a lot of writers who are brilliant writers that people don't know are on Substack and actually their Substack is like these these kind of brilliant witty behind the scenes so like big writers like Mary Gateskill and Margaret Atwood like they have amazing Substacks where they share like Margaret Atwood sharing like illustrations of like her chats with their editors and stuff that she does and I didn't know like and I'm a big Margaret Atwood fan I didn't know she did illustration you know and you wouldn't know that I think unless you did subscribe you know people like George Saunders is obviously like a famous one in terms of like more one of the more well-known writers on Substack giving away incredible insights into writing you know kind of essentially kind of teaching a class on his Substack and then there's kind of like you know the Substack writers who I think you may see elsewhere in other big publications but they're kind of going deeper and unpacking data and information in a way that's kind of shaping how we think culturally like Anne Helen Peterson 
Emily Uster, John Height, like they, you know, they kind of like tap into like a bigger conversation happening across the web. And then there's like the more journalisty writers that I didn't know about before I joined Substack, you know, Max Reed, Freddie DeBau, Barry Weiss, like they're kind of offering these kind of big meaty cultural reads. They're kind of very important and poignant at the same time. Um, so those are the ones that are kind of maybe what I might call like the bigger writers or like more well-known writers. Um, but then there's like these amazing little corners of like the Substack universe that you just would never normally know about, I think, unless you were interested in that subject. subject. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that come to mind, but like, you know, obviously I'm based in the UK, which has its advantages because I just totally have my eye and ear out for anything international, although like a, a big chunk of Substack writers and readers are based in the US. Um, like Lucy Webster, former BBC journalist, writes a subset called The View From Down Here about being a woman with a disability. Um, just like op- opened my mind into thinking in new ways. Carson Ellis has these incredible illustrated essays in her subset, which is called Slowpoke. Um, I just, I love it because it's just always like, mm, you know, at the end of every week, I always feel like so inspired and quite like energized creatively because I've seen and read, you know, all these amazing substacks on subjects that I didn't know about already. Um, and it doesn't feel like a place where you come to just feed your own kind of culture bubble. I'd love to go back to something that you said about what you personally love is not necessarily what you would recommend. Like, how do you how do you reconcile these two voices if you will like yeah. your voice and then substack's voice yeah yeah it's a really good question and i guess it's something that any writer in house for a company has to grapple with um but i'm i'm kind of happy that i've been able to grapple with it over the many years that i have been working as a journalist and writer so i had i had to figure this out at the guardian i had to figure this out at instagram and then when I've also done bits and bobs for other people. Um, yeah, it's kind of being able to have like a, a sort of criteria of what good looks like for the company and kind of hold in your head all the discussions that you've had with product and marketing teams and partnerships and recruiter leads and knowing everything that you know about the company and kind of what, what that criteria of good looks like. Um, in your head for the company and being able to completely separate that from you know what you may or may not like in terms of subject matter I think for me with subsec it comes down to kind of subject matter and just being aware you know where my mind might normally go to kind of look for what's interesting and being like oh no actually that's just playing into something that I already care about and the other thing is you know kind of what great writing looks like, um, you know, forcing yourself to be like very uh, objective about that, and and actually, what great writing looks like is probably quite different for different people. Um, but I do think, yeah, writers and editors probably kind of like have have a good eye for like picking up. Again, it kind of goes back to the idea of like what's new, what feels fresh, what feels interesting what feels kind of 
eye-opening, a brilliant read, something of substance. Um, but yeah, it's being aware of like what my what my natural categories, I guess, that I would default to, like as a woman, as a parent, as a sister, you know, as someone living in the UK, like knowing where my biases are as well, where my areas of privilege are and trying to kind of remove that. And I think also like, you know, the thread throughout my career has been what something what I call kind of community first storytelling, which is this idea that you put the community member kind of front and center of the story and really kind of remove yourself as the reporter or the writer like try and almost like kind of even remove your voice like remove the sense if you're writing for a brand kind of almost remove the sense that it feels like it's coming from a brand and almost feel, have it feel like the community member is kind of telling the story themselves so ideally it's like in the first person if it's an interview like you've kind of heavily edited your questions so that they're like not even noticeable um and I really love that like I love the idea of kind of almost like the Substack newsletter is like a window into someone else's newsletter like we just create the framing I guess um and so part I think part of what I do is is kind of like trying as much as possible to remove the self remove the ego kind of try and have this like very lateral hive mind I mean it's I'm making it sound almost spiritual (laughs) but it's um but it's an exercise that I really enjoy and have and have tried to do over kind of many years as well um and I think and then part of the reason I feel passionate about it is because I think it makes the stories more powerful and I've I've never been a writer or a reporter that kind of puts myself in the story in fact I kind of think it it makes me feel it feels a bit grotesque to me like when when I read reporters that do it who aren't kind of writing opinion pieces or doing commentary and and it was just the way I was taught I think as well as reporters just to kind of use plain English you know be direct you know good writing is simple writing and so I try and strip away strip back my own writing as much as possible but I think in the curation part as well I will try and kind of like strip back myself from the equation as much as possible as well and like kind of be yeah like it sounds so odd but it's like almost like you're this center of this of this network you've kind of got you know you're like a massive spider and like your tentacles are out everywhere just like looking for things and kind of pulling in things from different reader recommendations and sources and dashboards and things you know about the company and kind of like trying to spin it into something like really interesting and, and new do you think an ai could do your job Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, we'd have, we do have a form of like the Substack Reads newsletter that we're testing out that is kind of auto-generated by um, who writers that you might already subscribe to, like who they are recommending and kind of like pulling together a bunch of posts into like an email digest and seeing how that works. Um, I mean, it doesn't bother me if it could. I guess that that's what it comes down to. It's like it does. I, it does doesn't scare me. Like as a journalist, or kind of make me worry. Like oh, an AI could. I mean, if anything, I kind of hope that it might help <laughs> me. Like source, you know, some of the material, or kind of find different writers and corners of Substack that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Um, 
the human aspect that might be difficult to replicate is understanding like the nuances of why we might choose something over another you know for example like some of the posts that might be getting a lot of engagement or trending are like not necessarily what I would call like great writing or um of interest to a really broad audience so I think there are like you know maybe this is with everything I think there are like some human nuances that like AI just like wouldn't be able to to get to understand um you know understanding like who we featured before like why we might not you know why we might not feature them again right now or maybe later and those are kind of all things that I'm like holding in my brain um that you know may have come from like conversations that I've had with other staff members or something that I remember happening like years and years ago at the Guardian or um yeah, I th- I feel like I wonder if like an AI curated newsletter would just would be interesting a little bit, but like kind of bland over time, um, and just kind of really play into the zeitgeist conversations that are happening at the moment, and not necessarily bring forth something that's like new and surprising and feels like serendipitous to stumble upon. Um, and the headlines would probably be pretty crap. <laughs> Before we move on to our speed round, which is the end, um, is there anything that you'd like to talk about that you haven't covered with regards to curation or your role at Substack? One of the things recently is I keep seeing more and more Substack writers are like getting book deals like off the back of their Substack. And what's amazing is when some of them, they've kind of tried to go or they tried to kind of get agents or, or get down the traditional publishing route before, but were rejected. Um, and then now that they kind of like spent a long time like working on their writing and like growing their readership, they've then been kind of approached by traditional publishers to, to be published. So like people like Caroline Chambers, who's publishing What to Cook When You Don't Feel Like Eating, or um, Valerie Cluck of Unruly Figures. She got a book deal off the back of her substack and... Other writers I've spoken to have said, like Melinda Wenner Moyo did an interview with recently, and she was saying that her, she tributes her Substack to like the steady sales of her book, whereas normally there's like this kind of book launch moment, and then the sales kind of fall off a cliff. Um, and then like the most amazing one is this writer called Jessica Defino, who has totally carved out an amazing, amazing niche on Substack, talking about like the dark side of the beauty industry and. Um, yeah, it, it, like listening to her speak on the Active Voice podcast, like she talks a lot about how kind of writing her Substack allowed her to get creatively unblocked, you know, after she was really struggling and, you know, was desperate to kind of get a book deal and and write the book and then kind of like writing her Substack has kind of nourished that that creative drive. Um, so, yeah, I kind of feel like that, when I look at like the stories as well, like those are are some of the kind of the favorite things that come to mind, like in the last year. And then as well, I kind of feel like it's a miss not to mention, but there's other writers where I feel like they've illuminated, you know, a corner of my understanding that I didn't think needed it, but actually did. Like Kevin Maguire's The New Fatherhood, like totally um, gives something back to like parents that, 
you know, they probably didn't know they needed. Um, amazing writers who've kind of come up out of some of our grow programs like L. Griffin, Sari Botton, Michael Estrin, Scott Hines, Animation Obsessive. Like they're all great writers and they're just doing what they love and do it really, really well. Um, and I think like the stories that really always push my buttons are when we find out that like writers say that like running their Substack is like paying their rent and, you know, allowing them to like get some childcare or um, allowing them to kind of like move into a slightly bigger apartment. Like those are kind of just amazing stories. And I think partly that's because of my background as a writer, as a journalist. When Substack came along, it kind of blew that whole idea out of the water. You know, it's like finally you could, you know, quite for quite a lot of people write what you want and get paid for it. And a lot of these writers are, are making a living from it, which is amazing. And I think the kind of the new model that they're creating for being an independent writer and being paid is incredible. And I think that's 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 like part of the drive that like gets me going, gets me excited. And and so when I see stories that kind of feed into that idea, like it is um you know it feels right to kind of find find some way to show other writers that 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 can happen and one more question that came to mind while you were talking is like what advice would you give to writers aside from the good luck of getting featured um on how they can grow yeah well it's this is one that like thankfully my colleagues (laughs) have kind of like nailed for me already but actually that if you the first thing I say to a lot of writers is go and look, go and read the Grow interviews that we've done on the publication, which is called On Substack, because you could kind of learn everything you need to from reading those interviews. Like, there's no special source. Like, it's kind of, it's all there. Like, it, you know, a lot of the writers there talk about kind of, you know, that how the list has grown very steadily and it doesn't just happen overnight. Um, they talk about kind of you know, having a quite like a big launch moment if they, if, you know, if you already have a following um, and kind of like making sure that you, you know, stick to a kind of regular schedule and, um, you know, have some accountancy with yourself to like get to your writing every week. Um, some people go paid immediately and some people do it later. Um, but a lot of people, you know, give their best work away for free um, and really focus on building their free list and eventually that will convert some of them to paid. Um, What else do they talk about in those interviews? Um, Kind of working with and and involving your community as much as possible and like building that direct relationship with your readers, getting to know who they are, Um, kind of hustling as well like you know there's a lot of people that talk about like kind of doing collaborations with other writers emailing out to other writers asking to get featured um asking people to pay you know for the writing continuing reminding them what they get if they start paying um farah my colleague who's also in the uk was former magazine editor-in-chief here and talks about you know keeping headlines short and sweet um not over planning you know not not worrying about like oh I need to have like seven issues set up before I launch and that's another thing that I say to people when they say like oh you know I'm not sure should I start a sub stack and whether I've got the right subject matter and I just say like you should just start now 
and because you'll just learn along the way and you know you will you might stumble and do things that you kind of wish you hadn't later but it doesn't really matter because you once you're building that writing habit and a lot of people love coming to Substack because they're getting back into a writing habit that they kind of forgot that they missed and you know just getting started and finding you know finding your niche is, is as simple as just like what's the special area that you could write or talk about forever and you know go with that um rather than something that you kind of might want to do a few posts on and then kind of get bored um but those are the things that come to mind and they're all in like the previous interviews that we've done with writers in the grow series um that's a good summary of what's there okay you've given us so many great recommendations like so many newsletters i want to go check out but what else would you recommend that people read watch listen that you love so much because they've made your life better and brighter oh there is a children's book writer in the UK called Michael Rosen. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, he wrote a really brilliant children's book called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And he's written loads of other stuff and poetry. And he wrote a book called, let me get it right, Many Different Kinds of Love last year after he had um, COVID and actually went into an induced coma with COVID and kind of came out the other side. And it was just like one of the most beautiful things that I read in a long time. I love his writing. It's so simple and so and kind of childlike, but so powerful. And he kind of pulled together like different notes from from what the nurses had had to write in his diary whilst he was in the coma, and texts from his wife, and yeah, just really powerful and just stuck with me for so long and I and it was the best thing I read last year and I kind of bought copies for it for like all my family and like just like you have to read this I don't I don't know why apart from yeah maybe comparing it to the year magical thinking like just kind of makes you feel and understand like the fragility of life and then that actually instead of making you kind of feel downbeat or blue that kind of pumps you up and kind of gives you this sense of like verve and energy for like the little life that we have i guess i like like sci-fi and speculative writers that have like a what if question you know george orwell anything by margaret atwood but then more recently naomi alderman's the power or gabrielle zevin wrote a book a great book called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and you know writers like dave eggers like they're just kind of a prodding my imagination in ways that I'm just like so thankful that they're taking them to these different places. Um, as a writer, like I've got some books on my shelf that I that have helped me understand the you know storytelling and the power of telling stories. Like Anne Lamott has one called Bird by Bird. Um, Ursula K. Le Guin has Steering the Craft, and then Will Thor also has a book called The Science of Storytelling that I'd really recommend. And actually, I probably would say I would listen to anyone being interviewed, not just writers. Like the interview as a form is like my favorite type of storytelling, I guess. So Hattie Crissell's in writing or like Francesca Steele's write-off or other other kind of interview-based podcasts like the Paris Review. I just love them. I think and Desert Island Discs even, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's like a really famous Radio 4 in type of interview. One thing I do as well is, is kind of, I don't know if other people do this, <laughs> I need to know, but if I like a writer, I will probably search for their name on Apple Podcasts and then just listen to like every interview they've done ever on 
all different podcasts I'm quite keen to get into their brain and find out like what makes them creatively tick and you sort of get that from listening to them in like multiple podcast interviews no it's very on brand like you're doing you you have the right job Hannah <laughs> you can follow Hannah on Substack at hannahray.substack.com that's h-a-n-n-a-h-r-a-y dot substack.com she has a newsletter that's a toolkit for community first storytelling We've also put the links to everything Hannah's recommended in the Flipboard storyboard that you'll find in the show's notes. Big thanks to our audio editor, Anne Lay. If you want to find out more about Flipboard, where enthusiasts are curating stories they recommend across thousands of interests, download the app or head over to our website at flipboard.com. Anyone can be a curator on Flipboard. Simply create an account and start flipping to share your ideas with the world.